So this is week four of our Lent series, Open Your Eyes, where we're exploring Jesus's seven woes from Matthew 23. Specifically, we're exploring how they invite us to fast and repent from religious hypocrisy in order to embrace Jesus's vision of kingdom integrity on the other side of Easter. And today we turn to Jesus's fourth woe, which focuses on how religious hypocrisy subverts our God-given calling to pursue justice and mercy in the world. Jesus picks up in Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now, this woe is a perfect example of Jesus being cheeky. He focuses on how Israel's religious leaders are obsessed with the minutia of religion, accusing them of following the letter of God's law in terms of giving and generosity, while totally missing the point of these commandments. Now, Jesus isn't telling them not to tithe or to give to the poor. He's saying that by making religion into a list of rules, they've somehow failed to experience what it was actually intended to do from the very beginning. You see, for Jesus, the commandments concerning generosity and care for the poor were meant to be far more than boxes that we just check off each week. They were meant to be a tool for real, true, spiritual transformation reshaping the very core of who we are to reflect God's character and values, to make us into people who have hearts that naturally produce a radical commitment to justice and mercy in our world. And this is where Jesus gets cheeky. He accuses them of straining out gnats, but swallowing camels, which is hilariously ironic in the first century Jewish context. You see, in the law of the Old Testament, these creatures were both considered unclean. That is, animals that faithful Jews were forbidden to eat. The gnat was the smallest unclean animal in the region, and the camel was the largest unclean animal in the region. And Jesus is referencing a common practice of his day. You see, they lacked the technology that we have. So gnats would naturally be drawn to the sweet fermenting liquid kept in unsealed rooms during the creation process of wine. Thus, they would accumulate all inside the vats of wine as they fermented, which is really, really gross. Thus, kosher wine or pure wine was strained before it was sold, removing the gnats to protect buyers from accidentally swallowing these unclean bugs when they drank their wine. And Jesus points to this process to highlight the absurdity of what he sees taking place in these religious leaders. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what Jesus says is they're like people who diligently go through all this effort to avoid eating the smallest unclean creature. And then they take their clean wine, they sit down at the dinner table, and they begin to gorge themselves on the largest unclean creature, all the while thinking that they've nailed this whole being religiously pure thing. It's comical. Jesus expects you to laugh at the imagery, but it's also powerful. You see, Jesus says this is what happens 
when we turn religion into checking off the rules of generosity without experiencing what they were intended to do to us. He says, tithe away. But if you aren't becoming a person that pursues justice and mercy, especially to the most marginalized of our world, then you have fundamentally missed the point. And your acts of generosity become hypocrisy, masking deeper problems, apathy, injustice, complacency, leading us to look religious while missing the kingdom and what it was meant to do in our world. And to explore this further, we're actually going to have a panel discussion on what the kingdom vision of integrity might have to teach us about how we pursue justice and mercy. And I want to get some more perspectives on this topic. So I've invited a few leaders from the community to take part. Pastor Lori Green, our diversity dialogue leader, Rory Dunbar, and our student ministry director, Dan Durenberger, because I believe they bring a lot to the table when it comes to talking about these issues. So let's dive in. Well, thank you all for joining us. I'm really excited for this conversation. I know you all bring a lot of interesting perspectives to this topic. Um, this is one of those texts where we really see kind of Jesus's wit and his humor shining through, where we see him poking fun at how deeply like religious hypocrisy can kind of lead us to miss the actual purpose of spirituality in the kingdom. You know, in this text, he talks about this imagery of someone meticulously trying to get gnats, the smallest unclean animal out of wine to avoid becoming unclean and then sitting down and gorging and feasting on camels, the largest unclean animal. And he's basically like, this is what it is when we allow religious hypocrisy to ultimately subvert the more important things of our faith, which is justice, mercy, and the faithful pursuit of those things. So I guess, Rory, why do you think it's so easy to turn these topics in particular, justice, charity, generosity, caring for the poor, into things like checklists and ultimately missing the purpose of the kingdom? I mean, what role does religious hypocrisy play in that process with these topics? Well, I think the reason it's so easy to turn those things into checklists is because actually doing things is harder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's easy when we see, easy, when we see injustices in the world to just say, oh, I'll, I'll pray about that situation. I'll pray for that situation or I'll throw a few dollars at it. Those things are good, but I think what God is asking of us is to orient our lives around justice and mercy mm -hmm. and faithfulness. Praying is easy. Doing is harder. Um, certainly prayer is a, a good first step. Um, certainly if you can donate your time and re resources, particularly to a cause, that's wonderful. But I think, um, I think the, the ask for people who are following Jesus is more, um, you know, I, I see it a lot when, you know, when we have, um, you know, police shootings of, of unarmed black folks or, you know, another instance of a powerful man um, taking advantage of a woman or we see children separated from their parents at the border, people will go on Facebook and post a statement, Black Lives Matter, you know, hashtag me too, all of those things. But I think what we're called to is to actually get involved in doing the work. And that's harder because it requires vulnerability. It requires us to give of ourselves. Um, 
it requires us to use our time and our resources to um, invest in these these issues. Maybe not all of them, but we got to pick something and and give um, give of ourselves to it. And I think that's really what makes the difference. Um, it's certainly very easy for me to post something on social media, but actually taking the time to do the research and to do the actual work of um, ensuring that these injustices don't continue to happen is so much harder. Yeah, it reminds me of the story of like Jesus feeding the 5,000, where mm. we have this temptation to be like, God, come feed these people. And mm. Jesus is like, what's in your hand? Mm -hmm. Like, right. I put you here to feed these people. <laughs> like, get to work, right? Yeah, yeah. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that, Dan? Um, yeah, I mean, Rory, one of the things that you said was uh, how much easier it is <laughs> to kind of just do the checkbox thing. Um, one of the things that I do in my day job is I teach 11 and 12 year olds how to write an essay uh, a couple times a year. And um, writing is really difficult, you know, especially at a, at a young age, trying to effectively communicate is something that uh, they're kind of new at still, you know, at least in the written form. And so when I teach essay writing, I, I kind of have to start with the checklist, mm. right? Um, but good writing, and you know this as a writer too, like good writing isn't checking a bunch of boxes, mm -hmm. you know, but it's so much easier sure. to look at, hey, I, I wrote five sentences, therefore this is a good paragraph. And it's like, well, you wrote five sentences, so it's a, a paragraph. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, students that I, that I work with are, are constantly saying, holding their standards up to kind of this, it has to be at least five sentences, I wrote five sentences. It's got to have a topic yeah. sentence. I've got a topic sentence. It has I've to have a quote yeah. from the, the story. Yeah, and yeah. there is a quote from mm -hmm. the story. But when you sit down and actually like read it back <laughs> to them, they're like, oh, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. You know, um, and, and so like it's that it's kind of a stepping stone, but it's definitely not the goal. Right. Like the the check boxes can give us an idea of the direction that we're supposed to go in. But if all we do is the checkbox, mm -hmm. there's no way we're really going yeah. to get to the actual goal. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I see that of the Facebook posts, mm -hmm. the, the, the little things of like, look, I did the little thing. I did the little thing and yeah. therefore I'm good. Right. And it's like, oh, Jesus is always so much more concerned about like, but who are you like on the inside? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Are you doing everything you can with the resources available to you to actually work for justice and mercy and whatever. Um, and that doesn't mean everyone has to go to every protest forever, but it does mean, you know, using, like you said, your time, your resources, your talent, your money uh, to support things in a way that fits within the framework of God's calling on each of us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, I think that was the turn for me spiritually where it's like, I can know the Exodus. I went to seminary. I know a lot of the Hebrew and the Exodus story and there's this moment in spirituality where you have to ask, is it important that I know the Exodus story mm -hmm. or that the Exodus story shapes me to be a liberated person right. who seeks liberation? Transforms right? It. Yeah, right. it makes me into a person who right. embodies the Exodus story. Yeah. Um, I don't know, do you have any thoughts but on that? I yeah. was just gonna say, you know, when I, when I was thinking about the question, the, the word that came to mind was comfort. You know, it's, yeah. it's easy, you said easy, but I was thinking of comfort. And it made me think of a quote from a book that I am currently reading. It says, we are enamored with a gospel that comforts us, but we are rarely drawn to a gospel that disrupts us. Mm. And I was like, ooh, ouch, that is true. We want to do the easy things and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe because I've checked these boxes. 
But beyond that, 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 that radical transformation that we talk about, ooh, that's uncomfortable. I don't know that I signed up for that. Yeah. I, you know, what exactly are you calling me to do here, God? You know, I, I've done this thing and I've done this thing. And so when I was reading that passage and thinking about the question, that was the thing that came to me is I'm willing to do what's comfortable and maybe even a tiny bit stretching, but disrupting me, completely transforming me, that's a whole different call uh, and, and re- you know, um, request that people are, are hesitant to sign up for, you know. And that's so. the difference between <clears throat> just kind of adding faith into your existing life mm-hmm. and actually being transformed yeah. by the love and grace of, of God. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it really is going from one thing into something else entirely almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we just did the series on the parables, yeah. right? It's like, hey, the parables are easy to turn into a checklist of Jesus is this yeah, guy. Yeah. And it's like, no, actually yeah. the parable that gets married in is like, hey, think of your enemy. That's the person who needs to help you. And you have to think of them as a fully fledged human being mm-hmm. because you're beaten on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ooh, yeah. that's disruptive to my worldview. Right. <laughs> that's not the role I want to see yeah. myself in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think with topics like religious hypocrisy, it's easy for them to get caught up in the clouds. But I think one of the important things is to think about these tangibly because really we have countless examples. We're imperfect people trying to uh, do religion and that often leads to an imperfect religion. So where have you seen in a tangible way uh, this, this sort of religious hypocrisy, the church may be missing the pursuit of justice, missing mercy giving, getting the point wrong, you could say. Uh, because of these checklist kind of ideas. Where have you seen this play out in your experience of the church? Um, It's hard for me to answer, actually, because my experience with church has actually been really sincere. Like, I've been the recipient of grace and mercy and generosity way more than I've been able to point to you like, oh, you got that wrong, you got that wrong, you got that wrong. Um, But there there was one story that, that stuck out to me that isn't my own personal experience, and I, I wish I would have like Googled it beforehand to tell you more of the specifics or whatever. But even if it's just kind of this made up anecdote, I'm, I'm sure that there's some level of truth to it. Um, I, I remember reading a story about a, a pastor of, I feel like it was some large church in Arizona or something like that, who had posed uh, and dressed as a homeless person oh, yeah. sleeping on the church's like campus on a Saturday night and, and being there on Sunday morning. Um, and the pastor himself uh, being kind of shooed off the property because, you know, we don't want dirty, stinky people here when all of our nice, clean-cut Christians show up for, for church on Sunday morning. Um, and again, if, if I had more details, I would, I would give them to you. Um, but that's, I, I feel like there's a lot of that, right? Uh, just when it comes to acceptance, when it comes to making room for, for all people. Um, and I've, I've actually seen the good side of that a lot more at, at E3 than anything else. Um, but I think that we have these ideologies as, as people of, oh yeah, we got to love everyone. And we got to take care of, of everyone and we got to serve everyone. And then someone cuts us off in traffic, you know, on the way to church and we, you know, shake our fist uh, at them or at something. minimum. Oh, or yeah. at minimum. I yeah, that's you. a great way. Of- I know, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that, that's not a personal experience. That's not what I'm saying. I, yeah, so, uh, sorry. I'm not putting words in your mouth. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, just that putting that faith into action can sometimes just be so hard because yeah. those, those opportunities, it, it's 
it's like memorizing the tests, uh, the answers for like your, your science test mm-hmm. or whatever. I couldn't tell you anything about my experience with science through middle school and, and high school, except that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I remember on those tests, I knew every single answer mm-hmm. when I walked into that room. And then when I walked out to go to math class, it was gone. It was gone. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. gone. And, and I think that it's even hard to come up with examples of that because it's just so typical for me to say, I'm here on Sunday, I'm doing my student stuff during the week, or I'm praying at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or whatever. And then everything in between, it's, it feels like I'm in a completely different course yeah. when, I, when I'm really not. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Roy, do you have any thoughts? So I really, I really like that story um, because it is such a, a clear example. And I was trying to think if I had anything from my own experience that I could share. And the only thing I could come up with, um, and it's not a great story, but um, when I was in college, I remember um, it was like a, it was in the early 2000s. So it was really cool. Like there was a lot of attention paid to having a daily devotional with Jesus. So we were always like, Hey, did you get up this morning and have a quiet time? Um, And I would have this friend who would, call me every morning at 6.30 to make sure that I got up and had a quiet time before going to class, mm. which was the actual worst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, is that a good friend? I was just going to say, are you still She friends? is an enemy. And, um, <laughs> and you have to love her. But uh, so she would call me and I would get up every morning and have a quiet time. Sure. Um, I would try to read. I would try to pray. Um, but the reality of the situation is that I was missing the point of actually having that devotional time. Did my relationship with Jesus get any stronger? Did I learn anything? Was my life transformed by getting up at the crack of dawn, bleary eyed, trying to check the box of having my devotional and my quiet time for the day. Um, And it's certainly a good, a good emphasis. It's a worthy endeavor to set aside time to spend with Jesus each day. But, you know, that focus on it has to be early. The first thing you do in the morning, you got to do it. You have to get it done. If you don't do it, then you're somehow not doing the Jesus thing correctly. Um, I think, you know, I think that caused me a lot of problems later. Um, (laughs) And, uh, I think the church has a lot of examples of things like that, where we're trying to get people to develop good habits um, and to, you know, make the following Jesus be a lifestyle for you. And then in reality, all we do is get into this habit of checking boxes to say that you did it um, so that it looks like you're doing the right thing and your life isn't changed. Um, And I'm not saying that it was pointless, but I'm saying that I didn't get the desired outcome Um, or what should have been the desired outcome, which was a relationship with Christ. I did get up early. (laughs) I did sacrifice some sleep (laughs) and I did read the Bible and pray when I could keep my eyes open, but 
the life change didn't happen. Mm. That's not the thing that made my life better or made the world better. That's not the thing that transformed me. Um, That was, you know, reading scripture and then trying to apply it, Mm -hmm. you know, talking, reading those scriptures where it says that we're supposed to do do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with God. Like actually trying to do that, that changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, again, it's an, a good idea, but it, it's not creating what the actual desired outcome is. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's <clears throat> this constant tug in Western Christianity, which is to turn faith into belief, into cognitive thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. I have the right beliefs, and I, which means I've done the thing. And I think we tend to under, I don't know, you say, just like not pay attention enough to Jesus talks about fruit a lot. Mm -hmm. Like he's in line with the Old Testament prophets. You know, I think he quotes explicitly in Matthew, a parable from Isaiah where Isaiah is talking about Israel. And he says, pretty much point blank. He's like, there was a vineyard, God planted it. God gave it everything it needed to produce what vineyards are supposed to produce, which is not thoughts, but fruit. Mm. And then he came to look for the fruit and it says it's the fruit of Sedekah and Mishpat, which is justice and right relationships. And he says, I found rotting fruit. Mm. And God didn't get, sit there and go in this parable, oh, great job. You had a nice looking vineyard. You had all the right ideas about what a vineyard should be. He's like, you didn't make fruit. And that was why you were here. Yeah. And he says, the vineyard, basically the vineyards failed. I'm done with it. And I think there's a harsh reminder there that Jesus goes to those, par- those imagery in this, these parables about fruit and growing because there is something tangible that has to come out of real faith, right? Mm. Which is justice and righteousness and the seeking of those things. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I just lose that when it's about beliefs. Yeah, I, I, I definitely resonate, <clears throat> excuse me, I definitely resonate with the idea of like trying to create positive habits, right? That are meant to like connect us with God. But sometimes, uh, I, maybe even often, more often than not, it becomes an issue of like habit for habit's sake, mm. yeah. right? And so it's like, well, did you do the thing? Because if you did the thing, then you're okay. It reminds me of like Jesus, you know, picking, what is it, like grains of wheat yeah. on a yeah. Sunday. And they're yeah. like, oh my God, you're working yeah, on, a, yeah. on, a, on a Sabbath. Yeah. You can't do it. And Jesus' was, response is, you know, was the man made for the Sabbath or the Sabbath made for, for man? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you're are missing. these quiet times meant to encourage us and, and create that right relationship between us and God? Or is it meant, oh, I got to do my quiet time. Like the quiet time's not been satisfied. I have to go like a, like a Tamagotchi or whatever that you got to go feed every day, whether you want to or not. What a reference. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it's not habit for habit's sake, right? Yeah. The, yeah. There's got to be that. Or to get some that points and, and some, yeah, yeah. put some some check, you know, tick marks in it, some yeah, columns. Exactly. About, yeah, exactly. You know, whether or not we are fulfilling all of the requirements. Yeah. Um, God is not like a, a cosmic game master who's like keeping score. Yeah. Um, I think we treat God that way a lot. Yeah. Um, in our Because that's how we see each other. Right. Yeah. And it's, about, it's very yeah. transactional. Our yeah. behavior reflects that view of God, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to communicate to us about God. Yeah. So I guess let's round the, the, the turn and, and kind of take this home by focusing on maybe a positive aspect of this, which is what might kingdom integrity look like? 
when it comes to charity, justice, and mercy giving? You know, how can we embrace mm -hmm. an integrity, you know, this overlap of our character, our words, our deeds in the world today? What might that look like? Um, I mean, not to <laughs> toot our own horn here, but I think part of that looks like um, what we've been doing for the past several years with um, the diversity dialogue. Um, I think, you know, deciding that we're going to live out our faith in such a way as we're going to challenge ourselves and having different conversations, um, particularly in this season surrounding race and, and racism. Um, I think that's entirely what the church should be about. You know, we can see um, in our world the strain of years of racial inequity. Um, and I think it's our responsibility to, to look at that and then talk about it and, and kind of face it um, within our own organization. Um, making a space where people can really wrestle with these um, difficult issues, I think is, is a, a, a right step. Mm. And I think um, far too often the church makes a separation between spiritual things and more secular things. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't think that there's a divide. Yeah. I think that uh, this in particular is one issue where our faith dictates that we have to address this. We have to face this head on um, because it affects real people's lives. Yeah. Um, you know, issues of systemic racism are not just, you know, hashtags or um, buzzwords. It's real people's lives are being lost. Um, mm. Real people are experiencing difficulty and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. So I think part of our job as a church is to take these issues head on and talk about them and, and see how within our own community, within our own organization, how we can address these issues and make things more equitable for everyone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of is a blur of question two and three, but I remember there was this great video of this. Um, he was a big traveling teacher at the time. And it's at like a stadium. It's full of honestly white Christians. It's one of those stadium events. And, and he gets up there and he comes up and he's like this many thousands of people die every day from a lack of clean water. Mm -hmm. And, Everyone's like, you know, silent. And he goes, and I think that's bull. And then he says a word that Christians are not a fan of. Mm. And you hear an audible gasp from the stadium. And he goes, and the problem with the church is that you cared more about the second thing than the, the first, first statistic thing. I gave you. And I think integrity is about getting that right. And I'm not saying to be like, let's not care about the language we use. But I do think that integrity is like, I should be audibly offended by a loss of life that I saw on television, whether it is a police shooting or whether it's people starving because of poverty and, and systemic issues of economy, I should be as aghast by that as I am from a pastor getting on a stage and saying a curse word. And if I get that wrong, I think that's highlighting a value in me that is not in line with the kingdom. And I think that's what, I mean, obviously that's a provocative story, sure. but I think it's a good story because it, it gets back to what you're saying. It's like, these things aren't separate. It's not like that's a spiritual yeah. issue, cursing and people dying is a, 
secular issue that's just part of this world. It's like, no, Jesus is like, there is no divide <laughs> and you need to yeah. care more about what's important than you actually do, right? Yeah. I don't know if you had any. Well, yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's a lot easier uh, sometimes when we have the sort of didactic, like there's a teacher in the middle of the room and they tell you, oh, what it means to love Jesus is to do this, this, mm -hmm. and this. And, and while that can be effective from a communication standpoint, it can also be really reductive in the sense of like, oh, well, there's my checklist. Mm -hmm. You know, there are the things yeah. I need to do. And that's why I love what you're talking about with the diversity dialogue. And the, the name is not just uh, to be a name. It really is a, a conversation. It's a lot more of panel discussions like this and just looking at like, here's one mess in the world. Mm -hmm. What do we do? Because that, that conversation, that dialogue can't be a checkbox, yeah. right? It, it has to be something that's dynamic, that has like a call and a response and a thoughtfulness and, and, a, and a whatever um, for people to actually think instead of just be, being given, well, here's a problem. I've already thought of a solution. Mm -hmm. You just got to do this, this, and this, and then you're good. You've done your yeah. part. Yeah. Um, actually engaging with those problems is much harder work. It's the, it's the good essay writing versus I wrote the five sentences, you know, um, you actually got to make those connections and really put that effort in to make it personal, personal for yourself. Yeah. I was just going to say one of the things that I was thinking about when you guys were talking about, uh, talking about this question was about, um, surf Tallahassee actually, mm -hmm. and how it's great that our church every week provides food for so many people. And, and I'm very proud of that, about our community that rallies around and brings in food. But I was thinking about this as you guys were talking and thinking about um, how the, the tragedy would be, it's great that we've checked the box, provided the food. But if as a church, we've not taught our people to be aware of food insecure people in our own community, it is a miss. Just providing the food, it, it, that's a need that they have and we should absolutely do that. But if we are not teaching our people, the church, our church to see food insecure people in our own community or to see you know, oppression of people, if we're, not, if we're just taking care of the need, the need has to be taken care of. But if we're only doing that, we're still missing something yeah. because we're still not aware of, of the injustice, yeah. the, you know, we are not being faithful. And, and I, I just, I, I, it's a good thing that, I, like I said, I want to be clear. Mm -hmm. I believe in, in what, in, a, in the things that we're doing, but, but behind that, if we're not also, if it's not affecting us personally and changing the way we see this world, then we're missing something yeah. as the church. Yeah. So. There's something about those checkbox items that uh, isolates them in a time and a place. Mm -hmm. But if we are truly transformed, like, like you're saying, we, we are always in that place of there are people who have a need. There are people who experience mm -hmm. brokenness. There are people that I can help now, yeah. not just from this time to this time on right. this day. Through this easy channel that has been created for me. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think that's the challenge. That's the kingdom challenge. It's like, it's cool that you can see those people. And that, but Jesus, I think will respond by saying, do you realize that their starvation is your starvation? Mm -hmm. That when this person is wounded, so are you. There is no separation between you and them. So it's, can you see the problem? And then can you identify with the person in the problem? Mm -hmm. And if the church isn't teaching us to do that with everyone, our mm -hmm. enemy, the marginalized, I mean, you name it, mm -hmm. then we aren't doing what the church is called to do. And out of that should flow tangible action. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know who said it, but I see this often when, when there are, are protests, but it's none of us are free until all of us are free. Yeah. I think... 
um, we sometimes miss the fact that our lives are inextricably bound to one another and we succeed or we fall together. together. Yeah. Um, so it is beneficial for me and for all of us, if I care about what's going on in the world, mm. it's, it's beneficial for me if, and for everyone, if I work to create a world that is more equitable for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think we, th we think we're helping those people out there, yeah. but in reality, we are helping ourselves and everyone. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that is by design. Mm -hmm. I think that's God's perspective. It's like, yeah. it's not just you, but it's everybody. It has to be good for everyone. Yeah. yeah, that's strong. If it's not good news for everyone, then it's not good news. Yeah. That's strong. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great space to close on. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, if it's not good news for everyone, then it's not good news. Well, thank y'all. This yeah. was a great conversation. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. Um, so thank you for your time. <laughs>